0: 77-9, that would be the record. Throwing deep, has a man! Another touchdown! Jefferson hangs on this time for six points. Second downfield, scans downfield, fires to the end zone, it's intercepted! Picked off by Nolan Turner! And the Tigers are not going to be dethroned tonight!
1: Andrew Dowdy back on the High Motor Podcast, the post playoff semifinal podcast. And those intros with those two plays that I that I just did that I do every single week. I'll grab a meaningful play, like the play from a game. And yeah, we had Clemson's interception to seal that, but there wasn't the play from LSU's wins. You know how how playoff runs and titles are are defined by one play, sometimes two plays. And this is something that Chase, Kitty, and I just talked about. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, the five plays that define the the college football regular season built that playoff field. And in the past, I've written about, I've talked about plays that have knocked out teams. Like the one play that knocked out a team, if that one play had gone differently, we'd probably have a different national championship. We'd probably have a different playoff. Like the Crabtree catch, that comes to mind back in 2008. The kick six, obviously. Uh, Michigan State's field goal to beat Ohio State in 2015. Those type of plays. And... In that, that LSU beatdown of Oklahoma on Saturday, as we've seen in some of the past semifinals, we haven't had many great semifinals. Thank God we had the good one on Saturday night. There just wasn't there wasn't one play in that LSU game. And it's not that there wasn't just one play. It's that there wasn't even like a group of plays. It was just a, a pure ass kicking from start to finish. And yeah, Oklahoma showed some life with that CeeDee Lamb deep ball to answer early after it looked like LSU was going to completely run away with it early, but... It was never a game like it never even looked like a major college football game. It never looked like Oklahoma was on the same planet as LSU. And this kind of came up last year with the Notre, with Notre Dame not even looking like they're on the same planet in the playoff last year. It, it, it looked worse. like this was I don't even know how I would describe it to somebody who missed that game. Think about somebody who missed that game. How would you describe what type of beatdown it was? I mean, it was like a, a youth football game. I mean, it was like an a youth football game where one team just looked like they did not belong in the same field. I don't know. I'm gonna move on because some Big Twelve folks probably drop by to to hear Ari Temkin thoughts on some Big Twelve stuff. So so even though it's not a secret that Oklahoma got pummeled beyond belief, I'll be kind here and move on. And yes, it will be Ari Temkin. Uh, any Dallas listeners know him on 105.3 The Fan. He also does Big Twelve this morning on Sirius XM. He'll be on in a minute. Uh, talk about the the two coaching situations that we're monitoring in the Big Twelve. And this is something that I've been saying all season. It's not its not like a groundbreaking take at all. It's not unique. It's just a fact. Entering this season, entering the Big 12 football season, it was very clear that barring some sort of off-the-field issue or a voluntary departure like an NFL departure, that all 10 Big 12 head coaches would return in 2020. None of those 10 coaches were going to get fired for, for on-field performance-based reasons. But now... That second piece is coming into play. We have to monitor that second piece, the the Lincoln-Riley, the Matt Rule NFL factor. So I want to get Ari's thoughts on that stuff. Uh, also, how much stock he's putting in that Oklahoma beatdown, short-term, long-term, small-picture, big-picture for the Big 12 as a whole. And then after Ari, it's going to be Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Those guys will be on back-to-back, going to ask Bill about some playoff stuff, the fumble replay that everybody is still talking about that we should still be talking about because of how big of an impact it had on that game and how big of a blown call it was. Same type of big picture, small picture stuff for him on a few things. I want to ask him, is Trevor Lawrence somehow underrated? Then some early title game thoughts. Thanks for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Let's fire it up. Ari Temkin, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Big 12 this morning on Sirius XM Channel 375. A fellow Jayhawk. Also uh, nice to have some crimson and blue back on the show. Hey Ari, thanks for dropping by and I want to jump into some coaching stuff that's pretty hot this week. First, Lincoln Riley. A few things here with Lincoln Riley I want to get your take on. Let's start with this because... Because if this part doesn't happen, the rest is kind of mute. Do you believe Jerry Jones will offer the job to Lincoln Riley? It should be noted that we're talking here on Monday night. And unless I just didn't see it, they, the move to, to fire Jason Garrett hasn't officially come down yet. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But do you actually believe that if that does happen, that Lincoln Riley will be offered this job?
2: So Garrett is out. It's not that he's going to get fired and there's been no move made officially yet, but they're going to let his contract expire. So um, Garrett is not going to be coach of the Dallas Cowboys next year. That much is certain. It's just not official yet in, in terms of he's not going to be fired. He's, his contract will run out. In terms of Lincoln – um, you know, it's a it's a great question. I, you know, I Jerry has made some comments this year about, you know, a reluctance to hire college coaches, which is kind of funny considering he won some championships with college coaches and Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. Um, so he's had his most success as a national football head owner and John Andrew with college coaches. Um, and and specifically an Oklahoma coach as well. But um, you know, I I think here locally Lincoln's probably the best you could think about in terms of legitimate candidates, you know, maybe Sean Payton is a legitimate candidate. Who knows? I mean, if, if anybody can get anybody, it's Jerry Jones, the Cowboys, I think, but you know, I, I, I don't know how likely it would be that they could get Payton, but I think Lincoln would be pretty close. Look, he's, he's at the forefront of many of offensive innovations. He's, you know, Andy Reed and, and other NFL coaches came and have been to Norman over the summer to kind of learn from him and then see what he does. It's clearly a trickle up league now where offensive schematics are trickling up from the college game. A lot of that is very, very influential in the NFL. Now we saw that with Cliff Kingsbury getting a job, Lincoln, I mean, in my opinion, is just such a better coach at that level than, than Cliff Kingsbury. And you can see, you know, Kingsbury having the success he's already having um, shows you the potential for a guy like Lincoln and a league that's starting to catch up with, you know, being more innovative and more aggressive in terms of, you know, adapting and evolving offensively, but defensively, but, you know, you can still really feast on teams that don't. And, um, you know, that was kind of what the Cowboys were under Jason Garrett. What you see is what you get. You don't really evolve much. And so Lincoln would be a, a, a vast departure from that, but it would take a lot. You know, it might take a John Gruden type deal to get that thing done, which might seem crazy, but he's got no reason to leave Oklahoma. He's getting the best recruits, uh, on the offensive side of the ball, he can. He's already got the number one quarterback recruit in the country, who's in the backyard of the University of Georgia, uh, Van Landingham, and, and he's in the 2021 class. So he's, you know, he seems to have no reason to leave. You'd have to basically make it worth his while, I guess. And look, the Cowboys are certainly there in terms of, you know, he's he's from Texas, and you'd think that that job would be attractive to him. But it, it's one of those things where it's like they have to be all in on hiring Lincoln because. If not, they're not going to get him. They have to really make it you know, attractive enough to where he'd want it to have both money and the power. And we'll see. But to me, he'd be the first call, the only call I'd make.
1: And then if that call does come, and ultimately he does, the offer is made, he does take that job. We we kind of get to two pieces here. Um, you said that it would might be attractive to Riley, and you obviously don't have any inside information if, if Riley were to take that job. Otherwise, I feel like he would have said it. We, as you said, we know he's in a great job. We know he's in, what, a top five, top ten college job. We know that he has the family with the young kids um, that sometimes keep a coach in place. We got that. You mentioned the recruiting. But but ultimately, do you think that Riley takes that job? And then who replaces Riley in Oklahoma? I mean, do they stay in-house or do they open up, you know, one of the best jobs in college football for the first national search in, what, more than 25, 20, 22 years or something like that?
2: So I would hire Lincoln Riley if I were Jerry Jones. I don't think he will because it's it, like I said, it sort of has to be from the Cowboys side. Like it has to be completely perfect. Like he's the guy you want and you have to have him. And so you're willing to do the things that he wants to be, he needs to be able to do in order to make it happen. And I just don't think the Cowboys are going to be willing to do that. Um, you know, so I, I would find it very unlikely that Lincoln Riley is, is working in the NFL and, and working specifically for the Cowboys next year. It, it's who I would hire. I would give him the money and the power and I'd be fine with it. And, um, you know, look, I I think the idea of ultimate power here, you've got a lot of coaches that want the ultimate power and, you know, I I just don't know that that works. I think the Cowboys finally have sort of an appropriate setup organizationally. And that's sort of what's happened behind the scenes here as Jerry is, you know, he's conceded power to his son, Stephen Jones, who's, you know, has more power today than he's ever had. And, you know, this hire in many ways signifies just how much power Stephen has relative to Jerry. Because in the past, when Jerry's hiring coaches, he wants to have a say in the coordinators that's being hired and the assistant coaches that are being hired. That's not a situation that Lincoln Riley is going to be more willing to work under, nor is it a situation that Matt Rule will be willing to work under. And why should they? It's not a, it's not a position for a coach to be successful in the National Football League to come to if you come to a situation where. You're having to deal with the general managers trying to dictate the types of hires you can make. So, you know, I don't I think Steven would be more willing to give up power. But, you know, look, the organization from a standpoint of personnel acquisition, they drafted really well. They developed good talent. This is a talented football team. They were offensively, you know, they were plus a hundred point differential. I mean, they're like the first team in the last thirty years to be plus a hundred and point differential and be under five hundred. So they have, I think their, their, their personnel department's done a good job. And that's led by Stephen Jones and they're not scout Will McClay. And, um, you know, so I, I think the idea that like Lincoln or anybody else would need to come into a situation and have total power, right. Would, would probably not actually be in the best interest of any team, specifically the Cowboys, the way they're currently constituted. It's it's very difficult to be the authority of the organization and, and be successful. I mean, you look at it over the history of pro sports and Greg Popovich is about the only successful situation. Greg Popovich and maybe Belichick. But even in that case, you know, it's it's, it's such a unique situation that it's just hard for that to work. So, you know, I, I would imagine Lincoln wants the power to hire his own guys, which any coach should get and want to have. That's why Matt Roll didn't go work for the Jets last year because they wouldn't let him hire his own guys. And I, I probably feel like it's more likely that Matt Rule were to leave than Lincoln Riley because the Giants' job is open. That is the job that he's perhaps most linked to because of his history. I, I still don't think it's a given he would leave. It has to be a situation where it's the Giants and they're willing to allow him to hire as coaches and you know have front office say certainly. So. We'll see, but I guess if you're asking me to take a guess, I would, I would say it's more likely that Baylor's looking for a new football coach than Oklahoma is.
1: So let's say Baylor is looking for a new football coach, and he, you say you don't Jason see Jason Garrett. So Jason <laughs> Garrett. I'm not kidding. I'm, 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 I'm being serious.
2: The thing about Jason Garrett is he would be a good college coach because he's very much a motivational rah-rah type, type coach. That's his strength. He, his strength plays well the younger guys obviously we don't, there's no precedence in terms of his ability to recruit. Um, but we've, we've seen, I mean, Lovey Smith's team got boat raced by Cal today in a bowl game. But, and, and, you know, I, I, I think I, I, it wouldn't be, I, I could see Jason Gear his next job being at the collegiate level. So I throw Baylor out there because it's convenient if that job is open. And again, I think he, I think he, he would be a good coach at the collegiate level. I mean, he's, you know, he gets a bet. I think he's, he's been criticized and I've heavily criticized over the years, rightfully so he's, he's his flaw his flaw at the NFL level is the inability to evolve and adapt and adjust. It's perhaps a flaw at the Cleveland level too, but I think he you'd be way more successful at that level and winning eight, nine, ten games, potentially getting the bowl games, that kind of thing, as opposed to winning in the playoffs, because his, the way Jerry S. Garrett coaches, you can win a lot of regular season games like that. It's hard to win the playoffs like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest when you said the name, I thought you were completely joking, but, but as you laid out, I mean, it doesn't, Maybe I should have, I guess, had my radar on a different one because when I was kind of speculating on this and just looking through today and trying to guess, uh, just playing a game, who they might be, you know, guys like Brian Harson, Luke Fickle came to mind. And it's just a completely different job than three years ago. Being down there, what is the, the sense that you get what this Baylor job is now versus three years ago? I guess, how good of a job is it?
2: Well, it's interesting because Matt Rule took it when it was really bad. So, you know, and, and, I mean, I guess Matt Rule's just the right guy because, you know, he look, his dad's a pastor, so he very much falls in line with the the Baptist views at Baylor. And, and, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that draws him to that university is that. And, and he has, you know, he, he's come in at a time that they, they've stressed the familial, the need for a familial relationship, right? Rightfully so. And he's like, he's just, a, he's awesome. You know, he's very genuine Um, it's funny because I'm like, for the Cowboys, he's kind of like Jason Garrett in that he's very process oriented and talking about winning Monday and doing the best, you know, kind of the same sort of platitudes that people have criticized Jason Garrett over the years, but he's just, he's genuine. Whereas Garrett seems extraordinarily disingenuous. And that's to me, such an important distinction. There is like rule, you buy it. And he's, I mean, he he just did the right things in terms of understanding Texas and coming as an outsider from the East Coast to Waco, Texas, that's a difficult thing to do. And he went out and he hired, you know, high school football coaches in Texas to be on his staff. It's just very smart moves by Matt Rule to to be successful in that job. But, I mean, look, this is a guy that after one, a one-win season, he was getting calls by the NFL to come coach there. So that shows you the type of, you know, type of – that shows you who Matt Rule is as a coach and how he was perceived. So, you know, it was a bad spot. It was a horrible spot. And yet Matt Rule took the job, and, and we see now how – great of a move that was but even then it was it was a you know what it wasn't like Matt Rule was desperate and so was Baylor and so they sold each other I mean Baylor probably got a little bit probably got really lucky with with the guy like Matt Rule
1: let's talk about the Oklahoma game uh, two days removed from it now how much stock are you putting into that game you know was it just one game for you against a dominant LSU team a historically good quarterback or are you sitting there wondering if Oklahoma or really anybody else from the Big 12 is in is in position to make a real national title run in the next two or three years?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think anybody was under the assumption that Oklahoma was going to win this game. Um, if they were, they were just an Oklahoma fan that wasn't looking at reality. You know, this is a – it's funny because it's, it's a year that it will kind of look as an embarrassment to a certain degree for Oklahoma, and it's a ridiculously successful year for them considering, you know, they – they had, we're in kind of a transition year where they they are able to band-aid the future with Spencer Rattler, the up-and-coming stud freshman that we saw a little bit at the end of the game. And, and you know, Hertz was that. But Hertz is not – you know, this is an explosive offense, but that's just by design. Uh, Hertz is not a very effective passer. Uh, and we saw that. And we saw that it was going to be very difficult for them to be in this game because if he can't throw down the field consistently – you're knocking over the stick with Joe Burrow in that offense. And uh, that, that's just what happened. They just ran into a buzzsaw and they did not, I mean, they, they came to a gunfight with a spoon, you know, they were just not in a situation prepared for it. And so look, if this were last year's Oklahoma team, that was an explosive offense that could score 15 seconds if it wanted to. Same with Baker Mayfield's team a couple of years ago. So no, I, I don't think this is anything other than, yeah, the, the big 12 was probably down this year, especially at the top. Um, and not probably the big 12 was down this year, especially at the top. And I think we thought Texas was going to be considerably better than they were. Um, and Iowa state, I think we thought they were going to be considerably better than they were. So Baylor was probably a team that surprised, but even then um, I think Oklahoma, I don't know that it would have been much better against Ohio State or Clemson, and I don't know that there's a fourth team that would have made it much closer against those three teams.
1: So last thing for you, do you think that, and obviously college football ebbs and flows so much with with roster transition, the transfer portal, and all that stuff from year to year, but it doesn't seem like you think that the Big 12 is kind of in this tough spot where in my opinion, I think they're only, yeah, you have Iowa State that 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 w- was better a couple years ago, and we thought they'd be up and coming. A lot of one-score losses. Baylor had a great year. Can they sustain it? We'll see what happens to Matt Rule. But in my opinion, at least resource and recruiting-wise, I think that Texas uh, and Oklahoma are the, really the only two programs that consistently be in that picture, even though Texas hasn't done it. I still think that they're in a position to do it um, near future. I don't know. But in my opinion, it seems like only 20% of the league really has any sort of shot. It doesn't seem like you think there's any sort of long-term problem uh, that the Big 12 should be looking at in terms of actually winning the national championship, not just making it to the playoff.
2: Okay, well, look, I mean, I think Texas Texas has proven for decades. Look, they've had success, but I mean, the success seems to be the anomaly more than the consistency. They have they have a great program over the years, but I mean, Mac Brown's run and then look at the, kind of the runs beyond that. So we're talking about three, four decades going back of, you know, a run with background. And that's it in terms of success. So they have all the resources. I mean, you said it, they, they have the greatest recruiting state and arguably in the country, you know, if it's not, it's third, if it's first second or third Texas in terms of high school football talent, I'd argue it's the best, but whatever. If you want to argue it's another one, it's fine. Uh, and, and so, and they have all the money in the world and here they are another disappointing season. And you know, now on the brink potentially of, of looking for another new head coach if next year doesn't go more positively. And there's reason to expect that it will. I think the hires of Chris Ash and Mike Yurisich are really good hires. And, and you know, you got Sam Ellinger coming back as a senior. And, and I, if there were tons of problems, a hundred problems for this team this year is not Sam Ellinger. So, I, you know, look, I think to answer your question in terms of the viability for for the Big 12 and the college football playoffs moving forward, um you know i i i think i'm i i don't think lincoln riley is going to go on to texas to to the cowboys and so i think you could always count on oklahoma to be there you know the thing is like they just they couldn't throw the football this year and so i mean it's amazing that they were at eight yards per play at second offense and uh you know the second offense at college football this year despite not being able to consistently throw the ball i mean that's it like that that shows you how good lincoln riley is they ran a you know, the, Mike Gundy said it, but they did. They ran a wishbone-type offense. They ran, I mean, just a ton of RPOs, triple-option stuff. And, you know, so it was amazing they won at the level they did without really having what they had. And, I mean, we saw how good C.D. Lamb is. I mean, he made the entire passing game go, and there was a time where Charlton Rambo did. Um, but other than that, there just, there just wasn't much in terms of consistent downfield passing, and, and Lincoln – is gonna have arms for days moving forward. You think about it, I mean he's had to kind of survive on these transition quarterbacks because he hasn't really been able to have one. This is, you know, you're just finished year three for him. So now he's you know he's starting to develop one he's gonna have a good pipeline with Rattler coming in and um, you know the kid from Georgia whose name I keep messing up. It's not Van Landingham which I said earlier, it's something else and I can't remember what it is, but it's starts with a V that that I know. But it's just, it's a pipeline of quarterbacks that are coming in. So I, I, have, I have all the faith in the world that Oklahoma, um, you know, can, can... I mean, it's... If you look at basketball as a Jayhawk, right? Like, finally, Texas Tech broke through, but forever, it was... Kansas was the only team that can get to a Final Four and win a championship at the conference. I mean, Texas Tech is the first Big 12 team to get to a um, a national championship game beyond Kansas. Texas went to a Final Four. Baylor's been a Final Four. They've been a Final Four never to a national title game. So, you know... Will it take that long for the football for another football team to break through from Oklahoma? I'm not sure, but until then, at least we can count on Kansas to get to Final Fours in Oklahoma as well.
1: That's Ari Tamkin, 105.3, the fan in Dallas, Big 12 this morning on SiriusXM. On Twitter at Ari Sports. Hey Ari, great chatting with you. I uh, really appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of the week.
2: Yeah, maybe we we'll talk about less miles getting to a college football playoff soon.
1: See, I was going to open and say. Can we be talking about, I, I was going to give you an over-under. I was going to say, how many years until Kansas in the Big 12, uh, excuse me, like the college football playoff, and I was going to set it at one and a half years. Would you have gone under on that?
2: <laughs> they may have to expand it to be like the college, uh, the NCAA tournament. They may have to expand it to 68 before we can get in.
1: Well, really quickly, what's your level of optimism with Les Miles? I mean, do you see them getting to, to six wins within the next two or three years?
2: I think those are two separate questions. I'm very optimistic because it's hard not to be optimistic because they've, Really, just continually dug a deeper and deeper hole for themselves. The program, so it, it has to be. You have to be optimistic because there's no other. Like you can't be pessimistic. There, there's, you can't, they can't go further down. It can't get worse because when you think it can't get worse, it's been worse, and so now it's it's getting better. It, I don't think it's I don't think there's any questions. It's getting better, I think the biggest thing this year was like when they had this explosive offense, they were. You know, running it through the explosive young offensive quarter that they have in, in, in Dearman, in Brent Deerman. And when they didn't, they were running that, you know, you see that inside sweep that we used to see at LSU years ago, and you, you know what that is. And that's not, that's, that is not Brent Dearman. That is not, that is what last. I, I just, it's crazy to think that they had such an explosive offensive times, and then there's other games where so they just completely go back to that damn inside toss. <laughs> so, Uh, he's done a good job recruiting. I think without showing anything he's brought, you know, he's got some good kids from Texas, which is like, that's the key. When, when Kansas won the orange bowl, they were recruiting Texas extremely well under Mark Rangino. So obviously you have to, I mean, anybody that's going to break through the big 12 is going to have to recruit, get, get the kids to fall through the cracks in Texas. And hopefully they're doing that. So he's, he's recruited well, despite having no scholarships available and, and nothing to show any recruits of success. So as long as he allows the coordinators, to coordinate their offense moving forward. I, I, I think, you know, I really like what Brent Dierman showed when he was able to show it. And I think moving forward that that could be maybe a six win team in two years. Let's hope. But, it, I mean, it starts next year with what they do at the quarterback position. We'll see next year if they have what it takes to potentially be a, a bowl team in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, you're definitely right about that. It is it is getting better. They didn't have that type of Boston College game uh, in a long time. They didn't have that Texas game for a very long time. And very curious to see if they can hang on to Brent Deerman too. All right, Ari, uh, yeah, have a good rest of the week. I really appreciate the time.
2: Thank you, man. Good talking to you.
1: Bill Bender of Sporting News giving us a little time this week. Hey, Bill, thanks for the time. And first, what everybody's talking about, that replay on the Justin Ross fumble overturn, Clemson, Ohio State, and and after the game, I was reading what you wrote about it. And you wrote here, should Ohio State fans have a beef with the SEC officiating crew? Yes. Were the refs the only reasons why the Buckeyes lost? No. Ohio State can blame itself for several reasons, too. So you don't think it was the only reason. I think that any reasonable person agrees with that, that there are other reasons why they lost that football game. But. Going back to that specific scenario, so Ohio State would have reclaimed that lead 23-21, uh, four minutes to play in the third, even though a lot of ball game left, even though that's not the only reason why why they lost the game. I'm curious, can you can you confidently say that Ohio State wins that game if that call is overturned, if, if that call is not overturned? Well,
0: the 23-21 lead later, I mean, maybe it, maybe it creates some momentum. I think the two controversial calls in this game one the Ross fumble you talked about um would have switched the momentum back in their favor which it took them a little bit longer to get and two the wade targeting call um built a lot of momentum for clemson but you know at the end of the day 23 21 three minutes left and trevor lawrence who they did a good job on for most of the night shreds them in a minute i mean that's what stands out to me that trevor lawrence Beat them with his legs, which I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been doing this for a while, and, and they haven't. They, I wouldn't have picked that in a million years.
1: I guess I'm curious how how are you looking at this call? Because because when I read what referee Ken Williamson said after the game, he said uh, the ball was becoming loose in his hands. That's a direct quote from him. The ball was becoming loose in Ross's hands. For those of you who didn't see it, and when I read that, that's kind of where my concern begins for this replay. I think they made the wrong call. Um, I think it's different if it's a wrong call in the moment, but they went back and looked at replay, and that explanation, claiming that the ball was moving in his hands, unless I'm just not seeing something that they are, I think that explanation is just plain wrong. I don't think the ball ever becomes loose. So regarding that piece of it, with this review, are you at all concerned about instant replay in the sport, or you're just looking at this as one blown review, and that is absolutely it?
0: Well, uh, you know, targeting is a whole separate discussion. I don't think you and I have enough time to, to get my thoughts on targeting and how many I have. Um, but, but that fumble, he, I I, I'm with you, man. I thought he turned, took four steps. It looked like he took four steps. So what is a football move? Now we have to have an existential discussion about what that is. And, um, you know, I, I thought he made a football move. I thought the strip was clean and then Fuller picks it up and goes, I, you know, that was the worst call of the bunch. Um, of the four that have really stood out with Buckeye fans, and I live in Ohio, so I got to hear from them. Um, you know, the Dobbins catch wasn't a catch. The roughing the punter was roughing the punter. And the Wade targeting was targeting by the letter of the law. But this Ross, well, I'm with you. I mean, these are big time games. You know what? The other thing that, not to riff off this, how do we have a game played with turf conditions like that? you know what I mean? Like a semifinals played on that kind of turf where guys are looked like a slip and slide at times.
1: So it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it seems like you're willing to say that there were errors made turf conditions among them. These, these controversial calls in your opinion, and in my opinion, a completely blown call uh, with this fumble, no fumble here. So it doesn't seem like you're sitting back here. We're talking here on Sunday and saying, this is a widespread problem in college football. I am worried about the replay system. I'm worried about things beyond just this call. It seems like you're chalking this up and saying this was one bad call.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's, a, you know, these happen. Um, that was the one that, that really stood out to me. I think, you know, again, if you're a high state, you, you, get, you can't settle for field goals. You can't throw two interceptions. You can't uh, give up. A couple screenplays. I mean, I get at the end of the day. I think it overshadows what Trevor Lawrence did at the end. I mean, that's the story to me. This guy that you know hasn't lost yet, lead his team down in a in a heartbeat with with three straight daggers in the passing game and, and again a run. So, you know, Clemson. Uh, my immediate reaction after the game, I saw a lot of people saying LSU is going to smoke Clemson. I'm not there because I think Ohio State's defense is better than LSU's defense. So that leads me to believe that we're gonna get a dandy down at the uh superdome here in a few weeks between New Orleans or, or uh, New Orleans. Well the Saints will probably be playing that weekend too. Um but uh between Clemson and LSU.
1: So going back to Trevor Lawrence and I'm not sure how you feel about Dabble's whole disrespect tour, playing respect in the locker room the last four weeks. Dabble's been screaming about a lack of disrespect for the program. Um I-, I think he's completely wrong on that. I know it's just his his shtick and that's he's motivating his players, but There is some annoyance for me with that, but I think there kind of is a point for Trevor Lawrence, and he's touched on that this year, where I think Trevor Lawrence is better this year than he was last year. I don't think that he's taken some massive jump, but I think because of what, I mean, Jalen Hurts kind of faded there a little bit, because of what Jalen Hurts did, because of what Joe Burrow did, I think it's really easy to look over what Trevor Lawrence has done this season, and I think that even though Dabble's constant harping of disrespect is kind of nauseating for me, I think there is a point for Trevor Lawrence. Are you kind of surprised that, that Trevor Lawrence hasn't gotten more love? And is it just because of what Joe Burrow has done?
0: Partially, yeah. I mean, it's a statistical game with the Heisman.
1: And,
0: um, you know, it's one of those deals where, you know, guys like Tua put up big numbers and, and Burrow and Fields. And, but Lawrence, you know, he, when he throws the football, just look at it. And you and I were talking before I came on. We both watch a lot of NFL football. He makes NFL furs look easy. And he's gonna make an NFL team really happy in a couple of years. I don't know which one it's gonna be. But um and his legs were the the difference. I haven't seen a quarterback I cannot remember the last time a quarterback had a sixty plus yard run against Ohio State. I and I and I've watched a lot of Ohio State football. Um I'll have to go back and look. But that touchdown run was incredible to see him turn it up on the sideline. And yeah, I think you know, when he gets in these playoff situations, that was crunch time. He made the plays. And um, what more could you ask for? Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence, probably the next two number one picks. As, you, as I've said a few times, I'm in Ohio, so the Bengals better draft Burrow. They, they better draft him because I think he'll be really good at the next level. So we get all this under one roof. it'll be a lot of fun.
1: So you are in Ohio, and, and kind of going back to what I asked you about the replay, big picture, small picture, same type of question. But regarding Ohio State, and even though that they were, I think they were on the 23-yard line when, when Fields threw that pick on the miscommunication, even though that they're 23 yards away from, we assume, winning that game, reaching the national championship for the second time in the playoff era, now all of a sudden with that pick, it's they don't have a playoff win since that first playoff. Yes, we're still three years removed um, from that debacle against Clemson. Is there any wonder, maybe that's the right word, from you if Ohio State is just a step behind Every every year from those elite teams, and that's just how it is. Or, or again, going back to the replay, is this just one game? Uh, we're not even talking about this if there's not that scramble miscommunication on the final drive.
0: Uh, well, let me answer that two ways. One, I think they were itching to play this game for three years. You know, after what happened the last time they were in the desert and got blown out and they were outclassed. I I don't think there's a talent gap, or it. You know, they are one of the few heavyweights that that is truly capable of winning a national title. They they could have won that game very easily last night. They let some things slip. Um and I think the other ones are Clemson, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. I mean think about it. Joe Burrow had the season of all seasons for SEC passing quarterbacks, and they beat Alabama by five. So Ohio State can to come away from this game thinking we can win a national championship again. They're not that far removed from it. Um, They've got NFL talent all over the place and more coming in. I don't. I I don't know, Andrew. I I think they'll be ranked number two to start the season, two or three, because they got Justin Fields back.
1: So, what do you? When you said that gap, what do you think? What are you attributing that gap to, I guess? I, I agree with you. They're, they are one of those teams that just that has the talent. They just have more talent than anybody else in the, in the Big Ten. They are one of those, what, whatever you said, four or five teams. What are we attributing this to? I know that I, I hate that after a loss, everyone's looking for somebody to scream at. I mean, if, if the, the PAT two-point conversion that Ryan Day opted not to do, if that had come into play, everyone's screaming at Ryan Day today. Instead, we're screaming at the officials. But I don't want to do this. Who can we blame? But... What is the gap there? What, what do they need to do, and this is probably a discussion for a, a longer podcast, but what do they need to do to to close that gap? I guess?
0: Well they just I mean, how much pra- they've dominated the Big Ten much like Clemson dominated the ACC. There was all this talk coming into the game about Clemson's competition. I think the Big Ten competition's better, but not by that much. I mean, Michigan is way behind Ohio State. It's not like Memphis got outclassed by Penn State yesterday. It just couldn't stop the run. I don't think the Big Ten is light years ahead of the ACC. I think it's better. Um, but And then you look at LSU. I wrote this about LSU yesterday. I do think that there's something to be said about a team that goes through Texas, Florida, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and then they made it look easy against Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma's capable of winning a national championship right now. I don't think Texas has I I really believe it's that list of teams that I told you, those five teams that have the four- and five-star talent surplus, and Ohio State has that. So, you know, last night really came down to execution in the red zone. You know, J.K. Dobbins catches a touchdown. They win that game. A couple calls go their way. They probably win that game. Uh, A lot of missed opportunities. If they stop Clemson with three minutes to go, they win the game. So I don't think the gap's substantial at all. And if I were betting, I'm guessing they'll be back on that stage next year too.
1: Last thing here, so it will be LSU-Clemson title game, New Orleans, uh, January 13th. i I'm Looking five-point favorite, it seems like, LSU at most books right now. What are you expecting that game really quickly? Any early predictions, even though we're still two weeks out?
0: I'll break it down over the next two weeks. I mean, the gut reaction is to pick LSU at home, Burrow, and that offense, and how they've just been functioning at the next level. But, I mean, you know, how can you dismiss a team that's won 29 in a row? And I've been to the last... Four title games and Clemson shows up for these games. They don't, they don't back away from the spotlight. They're not going to be scared. Dabo will have them ready. I'm excited for the press conferences with Dabo and O, um, and Ed O. They're going to be great. you know, and for an Ohio guy like me, and, uh, Ohio boy, Big Ten boy, it'll be interesting because uh, I've never been down to New Orleans. I'm looking forward to it.
1: That's Bill Bender of Sporting News on Twitter at BillBender92. Hey, Bill, thanks for the time. Uh, if we don't talk, uh, safe travels and enjoy that game in a couple of weeks.
0: Hey, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. I
1: saw a friend
2: today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside the feelings still remain the same We talked of knowing one before you met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces